Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's an author, entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and healer. It's Amanda Quicks. How are you doing today, Amanda? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Oh, originally I was born and raised in Hawaii, actually. I um, loved going to the beach. I was very much a girly girl and going shopping and, you know, that that type of get my nails done, my hair did, all the things. That was the kind of child I was. I very, very fiercely independent. What's something about living in Hawaii that maybe people don't know about? Well, you know, there's there's the group of people who I think it's less common these days. But when I was a kid, there was still a group of people who think you all live in grass huts because you live in Hawaii. That's not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think people think that we all just spend our days at the beach and everybody surfs all day. And that's also not true. There's quite a lot of, especially on Oahu, it's a very, very busy, it's very overpopulated, very much a city place. While beautiful, um, people don't understand the amount of politics and political stuff that goes on on that island. And they also don't understand the uh, reverse racism that goes on. And as a child, a white child growing up there, I was one of very few experienced a bit of that. And people don't understand what that looks like either. Did that play an effect with your family and how you lived day to day in Hawaii? It did when I, especially in public school, um, I wasn't military, so I didn't fit in with the military kids, which were the, generally the more Caucasian, and I did not fit in with the local population either, and so I really struggled to find my people, and I, I remember times in middle school, especially walking across the, the field and being called, you know, profanities at just because I was a white girl crossing the field, so it absolutely played a role in a lot of things as a kid. When getting named and called out, did that hurt mental health or your absolutely. mental health? Absolutely. Um, it was about, you know, I was, as a kid, you're looking for your people. You're looking for belonging. You're looking for, you know, understanding. And I really struggled to fit in. And really, since I was a young child, I, I never really could find my people. I was one of two white girls in my graduating class. Wow. What kept you motivated, like to keep moving forward? As a kid, gosh, um, I am a fiercely independent, strong person. And, you know, there's very much that nobody can get me down kind of kind of thing. Um, eventually, I, you know, just, I, I found my own path. I, you know, did have a bout of teenage promiscuity and using using male attention to get some attention. That was, that was a, my way forward. But eventually it was, I'm just going to keep going and I'll show them. Do you think that being independent kind of brought you towards that path that you just mentioned about? Absolutely. Cause it was, you know, my, my way to figure it out. And mm -hmm. I knew better than everybody else. And, you know, I was, I was that person of teenager. Um, and I continue to believe I had the, the right answer for many, many years in my even young adult life. I think definitely independence. I mean, a lot of people have that but you never know what path they're going to go down. I think they could go one way, they can go another way, but no story is so alike. What is the biggest thing growing up as independence and being that kind of, kind of, oh, what is the word? The word just blank. Um, being fearless and mm -hmm. taught you about yourself. Did teach you something that you didn't know you had in you before you got into that path? Um. 
I always believed I could do anything. I always believed there was nobody who could stop me if I set my mind to something. And I've continued to hold that belief my whole life. And every challenge I have faced, while it certainly beats me down at first, I always rise above it. And I've faced some really massive, very challenging things in my life. And eventually I take back my power and I get through it. Did you have anyone growing up that was an inspiration for you or someone that motivated you that you could speak to about certain topics? Um, not really. I had, there was a few teachers who really saw more in me, but I actually struggled with a lot of people who saw my potential, but I never met the potential that they wanted me to meet. And I very much was a child who decided I was going to forge my own path. I, re- I refused to go to college. I refused to do anything by the standards. I was going to do it my way. When you say you refused to go go into college, what was that path that you were wanting to go? Kind of like when you're asked, what's that dream job? If you didn't want to go through college, did you have that path that you wanted to take? I I didn't have like this end goal of who I was going to be or what job I was going to have. But I, I definitely was, it was unacceptable to me to get into a bunch of debt when I didn't know what that was. And you know, at the time I was in, in schools where that's just the next step. You figure it out while you're in college. And I was like, no, life will teach me what I want to be when I grow up, not spending a bunch of money. And, um, you know, my, my mom and the school administration, they were not very happy with that. And I didn't really care to me being on my own and living life on my own is what mattered. And I recognized that I was going to learn the pieces along the way. Did you know that get, living on your own, you needed to get out of Hawaii to kind of experience another part of the country? I did. And it was actually um, my first set of first set of challenges. I decided I was going to marry my Marine boyfriend at the time, and that was going to be my way out of my mother's house. And um, <laughs> so when he was out of the military, which was only a year after we were married, that meant we could leave the island and they were going to pay for it. And they basically ship you back to the States. And I looked forward to it. I I wanted off the island. I knew I needed more experiences and I didn't even know what was out there, but I knew I needed to go. Did that cause a kind of a tension between you and your parents? Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, My mother was not happy with me. I handed her marriage papers at 17 uh, and said, I would like to be emancipated. Please sign this. Uh, she did not like that. And she ignored me for a period of time, but eventually was would prefer that I had a house rather than being sneaking out and not coming home anymore. And so that was my way through that. My dad was out of my life when after I was nine. So it was really just a tension between my mom and I. When you're getting that kind of, you had that mindset where moving was that goal to get out mm-hmm. of this Hawaii. When you, could you have waited? It's kind of like a what if. 18 is probably the legal age where you yes. didn't have to get the papers. Did that ever come to your mind where I'm like, no, nope. nope. you're like, I just need to nope. go. So I was the kid. I was impatient. I still am impatient. At 13, I decided that I didn't want to be a child and I didn't want to live under my mom's roof. So the fact that I had to wait till 17 was, was pushing it for me. <laughs> I I'm impatient, but it's, it's so hard. It's like, once you have that like kind of way of living, it's like, it doesn't leave. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness, I forgot something. Nope, I got to do it now. I got to take care of it and things like that, which some, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's a good thing. How did that marriage at a young age work for you? 
Well, it didn't last very long. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> I was divorced by, by 19. Uh, we, we moved to Colorado after, after he had got out of the military. He, you know, we were both young and I, he was, he wanted to go drinking all the time. I wasn't even of age to go with him. And he wanted to spend his whole paychecks on alcohol in the bar. And I, I didn't want to play that game. And it was very frustrating to me to feel like the parent of my husband. And it's the moment we got out of the military where the military wasn't taking care of us anymore. We didn't have free housing and we didn't have that extra safety. I was done. Honestly, I was like, I'm, I'm, I got my freedom. I'm at a place that I can afford to live on my own with my $14 an hour job. I'm good. And we separated and he actually left, left. He reenlisted because he couldn't handle not having the military to support him either. And I stayed in Colorado on my own at that time. And to me, that's, that's what I had been looking for. I was finally, finally on my own, finally could support myself. This was freedom. Was there a big age difference between you two? He was six years, five or six years older than I was. So some. How, how would like a 17 year old meet someone in Hawaii through the military? How did you meet? I worked at a coffee shop. That was my high school job and it was right outside of the military base. And so he would just come for coffee all the time. And that's how we met. If there's someone that's listening to this interview that kind of gone through an experience where married at a young age, what would you tell them based on your experience? What are like key things that could there have been something that would have changed to make it last longer? Or do you feel it played out how it kind of like the past written itself? I mean, it to me was a means to an end. Um, it played out. It was my way out. I mean, everybody has their way out, whatever that is, whether it is college or a job or a relationship or something. It's it's the path I chose for that. I never had this like we were going to be married forever ideal. Mm. And and I, I liked him well enough. I just wasn't going to participate in, in the crap anymore. And so if there's somebody like that in that situation, I mean, I think it's really just make sure you're going in it with your eyes open and recognize where your boundaries are and what you're okay with and what you're not and what your exit plan is, if that's what needs to happen. What was the biggest challenge living in Colorado from not being going from, well, going from warm to cold, but different cultures, different lifestyles, things like that. Well, in a lot of ways it was easier because all of a sudden I was majority and there was, it was a very, very white town also. And so it was actually very different. Um, weather was a big challenge because, you know, I had never even seen snow before <laughs> and I moved in the winter and that was, that was fun. Um, you know, wages were actually the same as Hawaii, but I could afford to live. The cost of living was less, even though it was still considered an expensive place to live. It was not Hawaii. And in a lot of ways, it was, it was a lot easier. I found people who understood me. I got, I had a job that made sense. There, what the initial challenges really were very minimal. It wasn't until much later that I faced challenges in Colorado. What was that job that you were I, uh, I was, a I worked in the IT help desk. I had, I had done IT work through high school. And so I found a job working, working IT. And eventually I was even promoted into assistance administration and I started to learn more and I continued to do IT work for years without any formal education because experience matters more in that field. Did you always like that idea of being in IT and being in that kind of industry growing up? Um, I was, and still am good at puzzles. Um, okay. Those are the, you know, take things apart, put them back together. Those things just make sense to me. 
and IT was an easy thing that made enough money to support myself. So it wasn't like I wasn't this traditional geek nerd that needed to learn all of the things. It was just an easy path that made money. And sometimes people go down that same route yeah. where it may not be that job that they want, but they're doing it for a reason. And like you said, you needed to make money yeah. and we're going to do anything you could. To it was work. fun enough. And I learned things and I liked learning and I liked the people. It wasn't like I disliked it. It just, I wouldn't have said it was some dream job. It was just, it, it had a, it had a purpose. You talked about later down the road, leading to more challenge. Yeah. Talk about the next few years, what was going on. So the next few years, I started dating, obviously. I'm divorced my first husband. I start dating. Um, I meet somebody at work, and he's much more adult. You know, he's he's more put together. He's been married before. He's making better money. He's much more stable. He seems to care about life in a different way, and I'm totally infatuated. He's, he's intelligent in a way that I've never met a man who was intelligent before. I'd always felt like I was smarter than every man I dated, and I found it very attractive that he was so much smarter. And I, I thought I had met somebody actually smarter than me, which was something I hadn't, I hadn't experienced. And so we start dating and um, he actually was going through his own separation, except his took a lot longer than mine. So we kind of bonded over our failed marriages. I didn't know at the time that I was actually the other woman for a period of time, but he eventually did separate and we moved in together and we worked at the same place and things were pretty good for a little while. And Eventually, I found myself pregnant unexpectedly. I was 22. And I went, Oh, are we going to do this? <laughs> and, um, you know, we agreed that we were going to, we were going to have the baby. And I wanted to get married because even though I had, I still had my first husband's last name and he had been married before and was kind of cautious to get married again. But I was like, We're going to have a baby. Like, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually proposed to him at six months pregnant. <laughs> And, um, because again, I'm patient <laughs> and, uh, we got married and uh, right before the baby came and I had a baby and things started to change then because all of a sudden I wasn't at work. We weren't having conversations about work and work problems. I was home with the baby full time and he was at work and I intended to take at least the three months off that we got in the States and the same time the idea of going back to work seemed impossible you get you, they hand you this little tiny baby and then they want mm-hmm. you you're supposed to hand this baby over to other people when they're still so tiny and they're still so dependent on you i couldn't i couldn't imagine it and i started to realize i didn't want to go back after and we had talked at one point about me staying home and i said well let's let's compromise let's see if they'll let me work from home and they did they let me work from home part-time for a while and so i did that and then once my child was about one they were like are you going to come back and I was like I don't know that I want to do that still um so I quit I quit and became a full-time mom and shortly after that I found myself pregnant again and so it was like okay well I guess I'm going to do this this housewife thing and my husband made good money so it wasn't like we were you know we were we were fairly well off it was okay that I wasn't working but my identity really changed I became a full-time stay-at-home mom my whole world became my children and I did all of the, all of the housewife things, all of the play dates, all of the activities and everything was about my kids. And my, my husband worked very long hours. He was still very focused on his job. He started traveling for work a lot and we weren't as connected as we once were, but I thought it was the season of young kids. That's just kind of what happens when people have young kids, I thought. And then everything changed in 2016. And that's where the beginning of my book starts. 
From the time you met him to the first child, how long of a span of time was that? So I was you know, 18 when we met, 19 when we started dating, and I got pregnant at 22. Was that like the traditional how long you wanted to wait for that first kid? Or it kind No, of- we were not trying. <laughs> um, there was no attempt to have, there was a, oh, that's, oops. Um, but at the same time, we were in a committed relationship and together. And I thought, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to do this. Was he very supportive with anything that you came to him with? Like any ideas, any suggestions? Or was it more one-sided or maybe the clashing on certain topics and things like that? Um, before kids, he was much more open because, you know, it was more about me than him and wasn't a third, second person or third person. The Once there was a child, if I had an opinion and he had an opinion and they were very different, it was... It was very polarizing. I have always been more on the natural holistic side and he's much more on the traditional side. And that starts to conflict with kids because there's a lot of decisions that have to be made and there's not really a compromise to be had. And so we would have some conversations and try to compromise where we could. Um, You know, at the time I felt mostly supported, but he definitely struggled when I first got pregnant. Like he had a whole didn't eat or sleep for a couple weeks period of time there kind of freaking out about it and you know i wanted i wanted more like here we were gonna have a baby mm-hmm. what, what's going on and you know he he will say he said later that reflecting like that was a happy time but i don't remember that i remember the starting to pull away happening at that point in time and this you know, I think people their whole identity changes when you have a child whether you're looking forward to it or not everything changes you talked about both you and him were coming from previous marriages and relationships. Yes. From your experience from your last relationship, was there ever concerns like, I don't want a repeat of this situation, or I'm trying to keep an open mind on this one because he's different than the last person? You know, with my first husband, he, I mean, my first and second, they were very, very different people. My first husband was a drunk and volatile and sometimes physically, you know, punching holes in walls, never me, but things around me. And he, he would get like that. And my second husband wasn't like that. Instead, he would just play the silent treatment and shut down and not talk to mm-hmm. you. And so yes, mental health issues on both ends, but they're also the way they approached it was very different. And so I never really compared the two. I never really looked at them as the same. They both had different challenges. <laughs> You know, I think a lot of people, I mean, then again, you see it with social media and TV shows that talk about relationships. They compare the last boyfriend or last girlfriend to the next one. And it's like, that person's completely different, possibly. But you have the right to have those worries or thoughts because you went through that trauma or those challenges. But you got to give that person a chance to prove themselves to you. Well, and I didn't really bring any of the like, well, this one cheated on me, so you're going to. I didn't didn't really have any of that. I mean, you know, hindsight and all, but like I didn't, I didn't bring that expectation into the relationship. What did you like about being a mother at at the early stages? What was a positive that came from that? I love the baby stage. Like (laughs) not everybody does. Some people think it's the hardest thing ever. It is my most favorite the when they they're just this this they smell good they boobs fix everything they just sleep on you it's like just the most oxytocin filled 
days of your life snuggling a newborn baby. And I was really in an element I didn't know I had. I didn't know how much I was going to love motherhood. I didn't know how much it was going to, how important it was going to be to me. I'm, this is all fierce independence. I'm going to do things myself and Mm -hmm. make my own living. And all of a sudden I was like, nope, never mind. Baby, baby is more important than any of that. And I, I didn't recognize either how protective I was going to be. I didn't, I had like panic attacks about somebody else even feeding the baby because that was my job. That was my role. That was what I was supposed to do. Um, None of my now three kids have ever taken a bottle when we didn't even ever go down that road because that was, that was what I did. And I just, I loved that time. The babies, the baby time is still my favorite and it goes by way too fast. (laughs) I think if you surveyed a bunch of people, they would not, they would think crazy (laughs) thinking that because I mean, you see crying. Oh no, they don't. Because if you, if you give them the boob and you sleep next to them, they are happy, (laughs) you know, that's all they want. And so I was the co-sleeping baby wearing breastfeeding mom that basically wasn't a separate, we weren't two people yet. And then my babies were easy and they slept and I slept when they slept and it's still my favorite. Were you willing to sacrifice maybe a personal life experience for going out, enjoying the old person? Yeah, I, I didn't do any of that anymore. The moment I had children, I didn't leave them. Like it took me till they were six months old to even go to the grocery store without them because I could leave for an hour with, with knowing that they could you know, eat something else. And hmm. but I still, I never went out again. I didn't, I didn't do babysitters. I, I basically sacrificed my entire identity because being a mom was more important at the time. Was that hard to sacrifice that? Or do you wait? It wasn't hard, actually. Like, I didn't have this yearning to go do things. I, it was, they were more important. That was what mattered. What was hard was the judgments from everybody else that I was giving up all of these things when that wasn't what mattered to me. Judgment. With having people judging you, how do you kind of combat that where people are having these thoughts about how you are doing certain things, but you are the mother to those kids. You feel that this is the right thing to do for them. Well, and, and I've received a ton of judgment in my life. Um, and still to this day, in fact, I just made a TikTok video about all of you wanting to judge me. Um, <laughs> the, to me, people who are making judgments and throwing stones are people who refuse to look in the mirror. And they refuse to look at their own selves and they're, they're triggered by you because of what they see in themselves. And so knowing that I don't let the judgments affect me and I will call it out and I will say something because my role and my perspective now going through everything I've gone through is to shed light on those things is to, to be the strong person that stands up to the bullies and says, knock it off. But you know, and I, and I, I don't really let other people's opinions of me affect what I do and don't do. Like it doesn't not hurt sometimes, but it's always an opportunity to go. Why does that bother me? Because yep. if it bothers me, then there's something I need to look at. I always take that and kind of say, if you're going to doubt something at me or judge me, I'm going to prove you wrong. Anyway, <laughs> I have that kind of that independent mindset where I'm okay. going to go do that. Yeah. Like if you say I can't do it, I'm going to try to find a way to show you I can do it. And growing up, it's like sports, work, things like that. People are doubting that you don't have the ability to do it. And I'm like, okay, tell me, I'm going to basically (laughs) my title of my show, Rise to the Challenge, because that's what I feel I need to do in those situations. Yeah, I'm very similar. Um, I don't do anything the way anybody else 
expects me to do them. And I, I'm just, at this point, it's become a defining part of who I am that I don't <laughs> do the way other people do them. And I'm okay having that identity, right. that kind of totally. mindset, because to me, that makes me who I am as a person. And that is a characteristic. If someone doesn't appreciate that, doesn't want to be friends with me because of that, maybe they're not the right person for me in those situations. 100%. And that's okay with me too. It's okay <laughs> not to be people that are, that like me. That's fine. There's plenty of people out there. Exactly. 2016, you said, was a big turning point in your career. Let's yeah, talk in about my that. life, not my career, my life. Your career or your life, not career. Sorry. <laughs> yes. So in 2016, my husband and father of my now three children was arrested for attempted human trafficking. Oh. I was a stay-at-home mom, three kids, full time, my whole life with my kids, and he just doesn't come home from work one day, and I don't know where he is, and I find him in jail or with a $250,000 bond arrested for attempted human trafficking. Wow. The shock of my life. Was there any <laughs> suspicion of that happening? No, not, I had no clue, none. I was completely blindsided. And I thought, I even thought like somebody had stolen his wallet and he was put in a ditch somewhere. Like that's where my mind went. I had zero idea what was going on. I mean, in hindsight, yes, there were red flags I missed. But at the time, I was shocked. And I was so shocked that when he had a different version of events and what he believed, what he said happened, I believed him because it didn't make sense otherwise. When you asked him about this, these charges, mm-hmm. what did he say to you? Obviously, it's probably going to be denying it. So he, what he said is that he had been seeing adult escorts since he was 20 and he had been seeing adult escorts our entire marriage. He's very flippant about it since, you know, forever. And I'm like, huh, since what? And that when they offered children, he didn't think it was real. And he had to, because he was doing something legal already, he felt he had to find out if it was real before he could actually report it. And that was what he was trying to figure out when he showed up to meet the hypothetical 11 and 14 year old. Wow. Yes. So was he basically, which I guess it's cheating in a way, if he's meeting up with, while you are at home with kids, he's out yes. there living yes. a party life in a way. He's, he's paying for sex with prostitutes. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> And you mentioned that you missed the red flags. Yes. If you knew that first red flag, would you have left him right away? If I knew what it was going to turn into, but at 19, I didn't see it as a red flag. <laughs> um, I didn't have the the understanding of what that meant and what that could turn into and what was actually on the surface at the time. You know, I mean, the fact that he was cheating on a second wife for our first year of us dating was a big yeah. red flag. Yes. Um, <laughs> You know, the fact that I was nine years younger than him and he was romanticizing my teenage promiscuity and wanting pictures and photos of me at that age was a red flag. But at 19, I think I'm all grown up. I think I've been grown up for years. I don't see Mm -hmm. anything wrong with that. Right. The fact that early on in our relationship, he wanted to bring other men into the into the bedroom and seemed to have seemed to think that was an easy thing to do. No problem. And when I refused making me feel guilty about not wanting to do that is a red flag again. I just thought everybody has their things. And as long as he took my no and and left it alone, that that was okay. How did it play out legally with you and him where now you're dealing with these charges and these, this case against him, basically. 
Yes. So from a legal standpoint, he was arrested for attempted human trafficking. Uh, they at first said they were going to charge him with just human trafficking, which is a bigger charge. And then after a legal review of the case, it turns to solicitation of a minor. Um, he, I bailed him out, but he still wasn't allowed contact with the kids. He wasn't allowed to be home. He wasn't allowed any of that. And, you know, I, obviously my whole world is very different at this point in time. Um, and from a legal standpoint, you know, these kind of cases are slow and, and methodical. And we had hired a bunch of different lawyers because I still believed he was innocent. I thought maybe we could prove his innocence and then, okay, we're going to go deal with your sex addiction and infidelity, but I had three kids to think about. And so once I recognized that we weren't going to be able to fight the charges, the lawyers basically said that's, that's suicide in a sense. Um, I still didn't think that he was a danger to children, but the, he had some evaluations done. They, they try to see if they're a good candidate for probation. That's a, the way the court system works. And to my surprise and his lawyers and his as well, he was offered a plea deal for only probation. And so he received four years of probation where for pleading guilty to attempt and solicitation of a minor. And that was it. A privileged white man in America does not go to jail for trying to have sex with children. Did you have support from family or friends with you at, at this time dur- or during this time? Or was so it his family was somewhat supportive. They believed him as well. Um, my mom, I could feel the judgment. She wanted to be supportive, but I could I could feel the judgment. Everybody around me wanted to know details and information. They wanted me to tell them about the case. I was very isolated. Um, I shut down from the outside world. I disconnected Facebook. I turned everything off. I isolated myself. And the only safe person to have a conversation with was the man who caused the problem because nobody else could understand what I was going through. And so not really, <laughs> um, not really. If anything, I was terrified that I was going to end up alone with three children on my own. That was the scary part. How was I going to financially support three kids? I had been out of work for six years at that point. How I could not maintain our lifestyle. I couldn't do anything. And so I had, I, I wrapped myself up around this idea that my safe family bubble, we could just get through this together, was the safest place for me to be. And that my family could stay intact as long as we stayed together. Were backup plans in like in motion with, because you mentioned that you couldn't live that same lifestyle. You couldn't financially support because you weren't working at the time. Did you kind of have to start thinking about how I was going to have to take care? I, I did. And I started looking for work. Um, in 2017, I went after he pled guilty. I He lost his job. And there was no way he was going to find another job in IT security as a felon. And mm-hmm. so he started to try to work a little bit, but his mental health was very, very bad at that time and really couldn't focus on anything. And I realized I had to go back to work. Like we had some savings, but it was not going to last forever. And I also recognized the gap in employment was just going to get bigger the longer I waited. And so in 2017, I went back to work full time. And so my youngest was two at the time. And I went back to work, but I also had to deal with all of the kid stuff because he was, while he was on probation, he was, he actually got access to our children. He didn't have access to any other children. He couldn't go to school. He couldn't do pickups and drop-offs. He couldn't do any of that. And so I had to do all of that also while working. Your kids, how old are, are your kids old enough to understand what happened? No, they were one, four, and six when he was arrested. Okay. Babies. 
And so as they're getting older, when do you, are you going to be open and honest with them? Or if they ever ask, since you do have a memoir out where everyone... And you have a memoir out. So one of the things that I really wanted him to do was to disclose. I wanted him to disclose the truth to them. And that was one thing he did not do. And once my divorce was final in 2020, I disclosed to them. And I will continue to have age-appropriate but truthful conversations with them. We just start talking about your memoir, but I want to talk more about when was it ready for you to start writing that? Uh, Right after 2020. So in 2020, my divorce was finalized. I received full custody of the kids. It was a very difficult divorce. It was an 18-month-long custody battle of insanity. And the message was loud and clear that this story needed to be told. Um, the amount of people who end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers is astronomical. And most people don't get out of those situations. And I did. And I achieved what felt like the impossible. And I rose to the challenge and I protected myself and my kids when I didn't know how to do so. And all I could hear was I needed to write a book and I needed to share the story as loud and as far and wide as I could. When you were writing it, was it hard to relive those memories? <laughs> yes. Um, it took me two years to write. It's only about 200 pages long. And it took me two years because I would have to set it down for months at a time. Um, it's going through it in detail, piece by piece is very difficult. And my whole body would respond and react. And it was also in some ways cathartic because I was able to relive it with new perspective. I was able to see things from a new light but I had to release everything that was I was holding on to in the process. Was sharing it and writing it kind of a way of therapy for you? Would you in say? In a sense, in a sense, yes. Um, I also um, jumped into energy healing and learning more about the universe and and how I could help other people who've been through situations. And so I was going through a healing journey while also writing it. So it was kind of hand in hand. But it it really struck me of, at how much we hold on to in our bodies and how much was there as I was walking through all of it. What kind of reactions have you been getting from people that are reading your story? Have there been people where they can relate or they're like, wow, what a story this is? I, I shock everybody the first time they hear it. Everybody, always, every time. Um, there's the set of people who can relate on some level. Um, I've never met somebody who had the exact same situation, but Mm-hmm. There are plenty of people who have been in relationship with people who have manipulated or gaslit them, who've been in abusive relationships and can see themselves in some part of the story. There are plenty of people who've had to fight for custody from their abusers and their children's abusers, and they can see themselves in the stories. And then I get the other side. I get the judgments. I get I get a lot of people. How how could you stay? How could you not know? How could you put your kids in those situations? I get tons of judgment on that end. And, you know, I honestly when I say to those people, like, you cannot judge me harder than I judge myself for not seeing what was right in front of me. And it's very important to me that the reason I'm sharing my story isn't, isn't because I'm brave or special, but because there are so many people out there in these situations and think that they're all alone, just like I was isolated and I was all alone. There were so many people still out there afraid to share their story, afraid to talk about what they've been through. And I'm sharing it for all of them so that they can feel less alone and they can feel empowered to change their lives. 
I always say when I do an episode is that there's always someone that can relate to my guests. It may not be exactly a hundred percent, but there's something that they say, something that they went through that they know that they've gone through it. And it showcases that you're not alone, that there's other people going through similar journeys and people are here to support each other. And you mentioned about people judging from that side is they aren't in your shoes. They don't know that if they were in your shoes and they were going through exactly what you were going through, they would have a completely different mindset on what you had to go through because you're the one that lived it. You're the exactly. one that every second of the day had to make a decision for your family before your kids and everyone in your life. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and I also recognize their judgments are, you know, their own woundings and their own things and that's fine, but I'm also going to call them out because to me, other people throwing stones and placing judgments on the choices I made without ever being them themselves they're part of the problem. They're part of why people are so afraid to speak up and to talk about the hard things. And the more people who speak up and share their stories, the more people who will feel seen and heard in their own. And that's to me how healing really begins. You talked about getting into healing. Mm-hmm. How, when did you first get into it? And what was so special about that for you? Well, part of what catalyzed it is as I was going through my divorce and I was like in this, how am I, how do I find myself in this situation? Because all of a sudden everything crashed into the surface and I, and I saw my kids in danger and I like, but I was fighting for custody because despite his felony offense, he still had a constitutional rights parent. And I felt like the system was failing us. I felt like there was no way out. And I was actually my mental health therapist guided me to see a psychic. And she said, and I was like, that's not even real. What? Um, (laughs) but I went anyway, because I was desperate and she was telling me about this, this past life that she was reading of mine and all of the fear and my body started to physically respond as she's talking to me. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I understood that I was holding on to fear that wasn't in this moment. And I was, it was preventing me from taking the action I needed to take. And it was preventing me from sharing my story and from asking for help in different ways. And once I shifted and once I got out of that situation, I felt like I was unstoppable. I, I achieved the impossible. And at the same time, if this lady could see those things, so can I, because if she can do it, I can do it too. I just don't know how. And so it sent me on this seeking journey and I, and I jumped head first into every quantum healing, every, you know, spirituality group I could find to understand more because I had a new perspective of of energy in the universe. And I I just, I needed to know more. And we were in the middle of COVID after that. My divorce was finalized two weeks before the pandemic hit. My, I, my job was remote and eventually I left it and all I had time on my hands. I had kids at home and I need to know more. And so I, I jumped in and I learned quantum healing modalities. I recognized I just, I had just as much intuitive gifts as anybody I had ever seen before. And all I needed to do was own it and trust myself. And it was right there. Have you been able to turn that into a career path for yourself now? And that's, that's a lot of what I'm doing now. Um, I, I take clients for healing or coaching. I have programs that work with the gravity of our consciousness and help people manifest and shift and, and literally bend time faster than they ever could know because because of my like IT background, everything comes through and I'm almost quantum physics perspective. And I have the like technological version of the spirituality. And so I speak to a different set of people who want to understand it from that viewpoint instead of just because I say it is, they want to actually physically understand how it works. 
Looking at your journey with the two relationships, is there anything that you have learned from it that when that next one comes, you are focused and you are able to see those things? Has it empowered you to be ready for that next relationship in your life? Well, truth be told, I did get remarried this year. So we're already on to husband number three. Um, The biggest thing that I saw that was repeating throughout the relationships was the amount of emotional unavailable men I was attracting. The fact that I was not mentally, physically, or emotionally safe with those men. And I thought that that was normal. I didn't even know what it was like to be in a, with a safe man. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, it, but the physical connection was all I ever understood. And when I met my now husband, that changed. And I, I, all of a sudden it was a connection beyond what I'd ever experienced. And it wasn't even about the physical connection anymore. It was about the energetic connection and recognize that we were connecting on multiple levels and layers. And just even spending the first night with him, it was like, what on earth happened? Like, I I didn't understand what was going on because it was so different than anything I had ever experienced. And he is a yogi and and on a spiritual path. And we met in the quantum healing thing. So very, very, very different. Um, And I recognized how much I was attracting this emotional unavailability, this amount of people living double lives in a sense. And that I, because of my, my history and my stuff with my dad and everything going forward, I had to, I had to let all that go. And I had to step into who I was, if I was going to attract somebody who was, you know, stable on their own two feet and didn't, and (laughs) didn't want me to manage everything and take care of everything and and wanted to actually have a honest whole relationship with, with communication and connection. Have you been open about your story with him? Has he? Absolutely. Oh yeah. The first day we met, he heard the whole thing. Um, (laughs) Um, he heard the whole thing and most, you know, most people are in, in awe, honestly, when they hear the whole, whole crazy story and, you know, he knows all of it. He's, you know, he's now a stepdad to my three boys and, you know, he's, he's seen, you know, they have some trauma from losing their father, of course, but they've really, they see him now as their real dad. My ex-husband is not in our lives in any capacity at this point. And, and so while that's hard, it's also allowed for another set of healing, and so he, yeah, he knows, he knows all of it and is supportive. And at the same time, he's, you know, very encouraging for me to do what I, what he knows that I know I need to do. He's, he's not going to tell me what's, what's right and what's wrong for me. It's about supporting my truth. We talked earlier about your favorite part of motherhood in the early stages, but t- yeah. speaking in t- this year, what has been your favorite part about being a mother? Oh, so my kids are now seven, 10 and 12. And they are boys. So they are very busy and very loud and very <laughs> go, go, go all the time. Um, my favorite part is still the snuggles. Honestly, they still, I'm still mommy. I still, they still come into bed first thing in the morning and get hugs and snuggles. I'm still their safe person. I'm still who they look to, to regulate who they look to for answers when they're not feeling good. I'm the, I'm the person. And that's still my, still my favorite part. We talked about your story throughout this interview, but I want to talk about more about you as a person. What are things you enjoy doing? Things that maybe people don't know about you. I love to dance. Um, okay. It's it's hard to always make happen with three kids, but <laughs> I take salsa classes. I love to dance in all in all ways. 
you know, I've been, you know, dancing since I was a young girl and in various ways, love that. I, um, used to be very much of a girly girl, but I will, I will be outside now and mountain bike and ski and do outdoor activities with my, my friends and family. Um, I'm still very much somebody who must get all the things done. And my goals are always, always about the biggest impact I can make. It's Mm -hmm. always about how, how much more I can impact other people's lives and everything I do must, must be impactful. Um, what else might people not know? Maybe that's it. Are you still in Colorado? No, I left Colorado in 2021. I'm in the Pacific Northwest area. Um, I it was important to me to leave Colorado uh, after everything happened and after I received full custody. I not only stopped hearing from my ex husband, but his family as well, and I had no support there and really desired to start over. You talked about biking. Is there mm-hmm. a spot that you dream about biking in the future? Mm, I don't know. It's, I'm not the best. This is something I've only done in the last few years. It's so much fun. Downhill is definitely my favorite, but it's it's not. It's, it can be scary for some people. I'm definitely a little bit on the on the fearless side there. Um, I don't know that I have a dream place, but there are places where. You're just, you're in the mountains and you're going downhill and there's wildflowers on both sides and the air is in your face. And you just, you get, I always get this sense, like everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. And just the, the feeling I have in nature while we're, you're just riding through the trees is, is honestly unparalleled. I would love to go mountain biking. I just picture, or even if you see in videos where they're just so high up. And then if you find like an open spot, you're just yeah. like above the tree line or you just see the wide fields and stuff. Yeah. To me, that's just breathtaking. It we, is. For me, there's a spot, actually my friend, we went hiking and you just see that you're on the top of the tree line and you mm-hmm. just look out and it's just amazing that's why i imagine mountain biking just being high up in the mountains and just enjoying i think nature Mm -hmm. it's so nice to be in it is it really is and so you know doing that is is now one of my hobbies absolutely i you know don't do it as much as obviously everybody would like but you know being able to being able to at all is is really fun just got to make it a family trip get the boys out Uh, they they don't like the uphills very much You know, they'll, they'll do the flats. Okay. Um, and they don't mind the downhill, but getting them up there, sometimes it's, you have to go the really easy trails with them. They don't like the work. That's basically it. <laughs> no, they complain. I'm, I'm killing their legs. It's so hard. I love <laughs> the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Well, the thing that I wish that I could sprinkle pixie dust all over the planet and give everybody, if I could give them one thing is that they trusted themselves first. Everybody operated from trusting themselves and did not give their power away to the systems, to the people, to the teachers, to the specialists, to the everybody. And you trusted your instincts and your voice, the world would change. And if, if I could empower everybody who's listening to think about that when you've, you've got a challenge in front of you, you've got a big decision. There's some part of you that knows what's true for you. And that doesn't mean that's what's true for everybody else, but what's true for you. And that's the direction you need to go. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.